Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you that you are the one who has revealed yourself through your word, which we have heard. Lord, that we give thanks and praise to you for the great and glorious good news found in Jesus Christ. Lord, that this is not the word of man, but it is what it truly is, the word of God. And this word is at work within your people, believers. And we pray, Lord, that you would do this mighty work this very evening amongst those whom you call your own, your chosen children, that it would produce a great and glorious fruit, that we would give thanks and praise to you above all. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and I'm going to continue down to verse 20 to help us with context. But hear now the word Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I have, am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. We find ourselves at one of the most common Bible passages pulled out of context. I would say this is probably one of the most uh, common New Testament passages. Jeremiah 29:11 probably is the Old Testament equivalent there. But often what people say when they quote this passage is actually the opposite, exactly what it says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Actually, just the other day, I heard one person say it exactly and use it in that exact way. This verse is often used as some form of motivational statement of personal success or achievement. But in context, Paul is actually speaking about his weakness and his, his ability to be content in any situation, in any circumstance. Not unlimited personal empowerment. Specifically, that God gives him strength in the worst of situations as well as his best. 
So we see in this, this context, Paul is rejoicing and celebrating what the Philippians have done for them. That here, they've given him a generous gift so that he might be able to continue in his ministry. But he goes on this sidetrack to be able to have some form of disclaimer about that it's not so much about the gift. It's not that now he is happy and rejoicing because he's received the gift. There's a long disclaimer where Paul needs to say that he has been content with or without the gift. First thing that we see is this being in need. As Paul begins to explain that he is not in need. He is grateful for their gift and concerned, but it does not need, he does not need that to be able to give thanks or praise to God, to be content in Christ. And this is where Paul starts, and we need to understand that true contentment, as Paul is speaking about, is found in not being in need. Need is the desire or lack of something. There is something you do not have. And often what drives us in our discontentment is to aspire and to be able to get something that you do not have. If only I can get this one more thing, and then I would be content. Yet the truth of the matter is that our hearts, if not fixed on Christ, will forever be seeking one thing after another to be able to fill an endless void. Jeremiah Barrow has a great book. This is probably the, one of the greatest books that has an impact on my life. I try and read it at least once a year. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. In this book, Jeremiah Burroughs, in about 12 sermons, looks through these couple of verses that we're going to try and look at tonight. And in this book, he, he speaks of this contentment as this real inward desire of, of not being in want or need. But he ultimately says that contentment does not come through addition, but subtraction. That we find ourselves in the most content state when we find that we don't need anything more. This is what he says in one of his sermons. So this is the art of contentment. Not to seek to add to our conditions, but to subtract from our desires. Another hath this, the way to be rich, saith he, is not by increasing of wealth, but by diminishing of our desires. For certainly that man or woman is rich indeed, who hath his desires satisfied. Now a contented man hath his desires satisfied, God satisfies his desires. That is all considered. He is satisfied in his condition for the present to be the best condition. And so he comes to this contentment by way of subtraction and not addition. That it's not by adding to our riches, it's by subtracting from our desires. The problem is not that we do not have. The problem is we're not satisfied with God in what we have. And so Paul begins this by saying that he's not speaking of being in need. The true contentment starts with the lack of these desires within himself. We also see that there's not a desire for not being in need, but he also says that he has learned 
to be content. See that in verse 11 and again in verse 12? That he's learned in whatever situation to be content. Now here lies a great truth that although some people might have more of a contented attitude, it is ingrained in all of us to be able to seek and ascertain things that we do not have. These desires that are endless fires, never satisfied. We seek to be able to find a new thing that comes out, a new coat, a new jacket, something better, something grander. There will always something be another step ahead. You see it in the playground, in the sandbox, when a child does not have the toy that someone else has. See it in the world and through advertisements, advertisement forever around us, forever before us. You can live your whole life up to a certain point and never know that something exists, but once you know that thing exists, you desire it within your heart. It's before us, but more importantly, it's within us. You see something, and your sinful heart begins to covet that thing. Paul explains that it's only through the word that we truly understand and truly understand how deep and deprived our hearts of are. He says in Romans chapter 7 that what shall we say? Is the law of sin by no means? Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Or would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not set, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through this commandment, producing me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And here, the law reveals all of our sinful hearts, and, and particularly in the Tenth Commandment, we, we often never think about the coveting of things that we do not have, looking at all that is around us and seeking to be able to gather it for our own. I can be like this all the time. You know, I'm driving along and I see a car. It's not my car. I can't afford that car. I do not need that car. Yet my heart cries out. I want that car. We see this natural desire and an inclination to our hearts to always seek to be able to covet, always seek to be able to grasp and grab and, and seek to be able to accumulate for ourselves. We often think that that's the rich man with the big mansion, but it doesn't have to be that person. It can be even us with a small house. Just a little bit more square footage. Just a newer car, not a brand new car. Just one more outfit, one more pair of shoes, one more book on the shelf, whatever it is. We're always seeking to be able to accumulate for ourselves these treasures on this earth. Now we understand why Paul says he had to learn this. It's not ingrained in us that we automatically seek to be able to find our contentment in God. This is not natural in our hearts, sinful hearts inclined, to be able to find contentment. We live in a world that pressurizes us, seeks to be able to try and make us grow and, and find more things to have and to own. But Paul says that he has to learn this. 
Now, this should comfort us in two ways. The first is that we can learn. With the help of the Spirit, this glorious truth is that we are not left in this this isolation in, in our coveted hearts, always seeking to be able to desire, never satisfied. There's a glorious truth. Is it is a, a, an ability that can be learned. That we can pursue it in our lives. Although it is called a great mystery, the mystery lies is that it is the mystery of this spiritual transformation of the heart and the mind. Again, covetedness is not through external satisfaction of finally grasping what you seek. It's our heart's transformation of not seeking that thing any longer, finding our satisfaction and and hope in God. Regardless of whatever external situation we find ourselves in, Again, this concept is challenging for individuals, for us to be able to grasp and implement. This is why we use the, and you understand this term of mystery. The secret, which is to be learned, does not come through our human will, but through the gift of God. To learn the secret is to find satisfaction in God, to be able to pray that God would help us. The secret is the gospel, the mystery, which is commonly used in Paul's writing to speak of the mystery of gospel, Ephesians chapter 3. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. True contentment finds our satisfaction in Christ. Nothing else will ever satisfy us besides Christ and Christ alone. We need nothing else. Thus, Paul is able to say that he has found true contentment because he has all that he needs. Just like human wisdom, is something in the world that can be learned. But this wisdom that is from above is different. That we can learn to be content only when the Spirit is our teacher. The second aspect that we need to understand that gives us hope is not only that it is attainable, but it also is something that takes time. When we think about Paul in this time and when he writes this letter to the Philippians, he's able to say that he has learned it. But he is not then saying that he's always had this level of contentment. As he has submitted to the divine teacher, found his satisfaction and contentment in Christ, it is something that he has gathered insight on over time. That many of us, it doesn't matter what school or trade we are in, always need to begin in the very basics and foundations. In school, you seek to be able to learn the ABCs before you go into any other parts of grammar or sentence structure or letters or syllables. 
pronunciation. All of it must begin in the ABCs, and so too Christian contentment is just the same. If we want to be masters at it with the doctorate of contentment, we must begin at the very beginning and the basis and add to it over the period of time. And again, this is great news for us. That it is not something on the flip of a switch that you learn in one class, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of years. And as many of us, we probably have a lot of catch-up classes that we've missed. This is one of my favorite sermon illustrations, this vivid image of, of Spurgeon, possibly quite, because it's such a vivid imagery that is ever before us in our house. But here is this image of discontentment of weeds in a garden. And naturally, weeds born up everywhere. That These weeds carry thorns and grow in the soil. That they just come up, it doesn't matter. No one seeks to be able to plant weeds in a garden. This is discontentment. Our, our natural sinful hearts are always seeking to be able to grow discontentment and covetedness in our hearts. Don't need to teach a child to complain. But yet, what truly comes is the contentment found in Christ that needs to be cultivated and tilled and cared for. It's only then that you would see and find the wheat, the flowers. It all must be under the gardener's care. As Spurgeon says, now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. And so this contentment must be learned as we place our faith and our trust in Christ and submit to his tutelage. But also we see not only that it must be learned, true contentment is found only in every situation. We can find someone who says they're content when their fridge is full, when their pantry is bountiful, when their bank account is luscious, that we could almost say that we have learned contentment in any and all situations when those any and all situations are ones that we would agree to. But here, tr true contentment is tested when the cupboards are bare, where the fridge is empty, when the bank account is depleted, when we are worn. Now here, Paul is able to say that he has learned to be content in all situations, in every and any circumstance, in plenty and hunger, abundance and need, when he's brought low, when he's about to abound. Again, we need to think about when Paul is writing this. He's writing this from a prison cell. For such a Joyous letter where Paul is rejoicing in the Lord. Where Paul says he's content in any and all situations. Here he is in a prison cell. 
we again think we would be content when we have more. More in the bank, more emotional support, a better body, a better relationships. And we seek more and more and more. But yet, what is this contentment? As Jeremiah Burroughs describes it, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Again, most of us would maybe be able to grasp and fathom some of these aspects of how he defines this Christian contentment. We would say Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits and delights in God and wise and fatherly disposal when things are all looking good, when we're happy, when we're full, when we're abounding. But yet in every situation to be able to submit to God's fatherly hand and tender care, the God, the one who knows all aspects. Again, Boris uses many illustrations throughout his book, but Here he speaks of this contentment in God, trusting in God in all and every situations because he understands that God is through his fatherly disposal. He's using all things to be able to work together for good. The cogs in the, the clock that are always turning. The young children can look at a clock, he describes, and say, I can see the hour hand move and the minute hand move. And that's how we often see our lives. But Burroughs says, the wiser and the more content, the more you realize all the cogs that are turning behind all which God are moving to be able to accomplish His purposes. Again, Burroughs says, my brethren, the reason why you do not have contentment in the things of the world is not that you do not have enough of them. The reason is that they are things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. That here that we seek more and more or whatever that might be. Paul just wants to be out of prison, but yet he is content in that situation because he has filled this heart and his soul with Christ. That is the only thing that will fill our very souls. Contentment is not then the mere act of not being in want but to take it a step above, to freely submit and delight in God in any and all situations, in glorifying God in all that He has and has not given you, that today you find your full satisfaction in God and Christ alone. The true contentment is understanding the fatherly hand as He uses His rod and His staff to discipline and gently nudges pointing us to those green pastures. Paul says to Timothy, the young pastor, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, we might aspire to be godly, but here these, this pair of godliness, of how we live, how we walk, but yet our satisfaction in Christ is great gain. 
Christian contentment is being content in Christ and Christ alone. If you had nothing else, were given everything, that Christ remains the center of your life. The purpose, your worship, your focus, your attention. And if you had everything without Christ, then you would be a discontented man. Then you would realize that you have nothing. But Christ is all that you need. Paul wrote earlier in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And it's only then with this true understanding of Paul's contentment in any and all situations with this mystery of being able to find Christ and have and to hold Christ in the darkest of days to the brightest of mornings that Paul then says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And we often focus on the us portion of this verse, that I can do anything. That I am the one that is empowered, that is able to accomplish. I can do. And all things. And the world says you can be whoever you want to be. You can dream and aspire. And often this verse is placed on coffee mugs, on uh, apparel, and all these things. I can do all things, and we focus, and we glorify ourselves, and we, we think that we seek to be able to attain something else. But Paul here is saying that I can do all things because I'm content in Christ in all situations and circumstances. Or to put it another way, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can do nothing without Christ strengthening us. That we can do nothing without Christ. And so too, many of us live, I don't think verbally displaying this truth, but some of us in the depths of our heart think that we would be more content if we had something else. But yet, it doesn't matter where you turn in all of Scripture. You find time and time again, those who are true believers, put their faith and their trust not in themselves, but in Christ, and are able to glorify Christ in the most difficult of situations. Read through many of the Psalms that we find out of when David writes them. Often many of them are in the depths of despair when he's fleeing from Saul, when he's surrounded by enemies, and yet he's able to describe the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. Whom shall I be afraid? He's able to rejoice and be confident in Christ and confident in God. As the author of Proverbs says in chapter 18, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. We find our true contentment when we find our rest in Christ. 
that we will never be satisfied until we're truly united to Him. That we're made in the very beginning, Garden of Eden, male and female, to live and dwell with God. And we find our true contentment there. If we seek to be able to chase after things that moth and rust will destroy, we will never be satisfied. Whereas Job, if he was to put his faith in, in, in his buildings and his children and esteem them high or his health and to be able to boast in them, once they were all taken away, his life would be in ruins. But what does he say to his wife? That when God gives... Or when God takes away, blessed is the name of the Lord. Able to find contentment when we have nothing. To find contentment when we have all. Now He is the one who is our strength. He is the one who is our song. He is our salvation. As Exodus 2 says, He is our God. And we will praise Him. Let us find our contentment in Christ and no other. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that again your word reveals the depths of our hearts and divides between the joint and the marrow, piercing our hearts, convicting our souls, that we, Lord, find ourselves in situations where we are discontent in this world, and the weeds of discontentment grow readily within our hearts. But Lord, teach us. Be our tutor as we seek to be able to learn this great mystery of divine contentment. Lord, that we would seek to be able to find our rest in you and you alone. Lord, help us not to follow the ways of the world, in seeking things that will never satisfy the depths of our souls. But give us Christ, that we might be satisfied in Him. We pray in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.